I'm Katherine Spearing, and this is Uncertain. This episode about art is simultaneously a plug for season two. That's right, we've already started recording season two and have an anticipation of airing in January. Season two is going to be all about art and creativity. Now, you may be asking, what does this have to do with the church? Especially when the main themes we deal with on the Uncertain Podcast tend to have a lot to do with abuse in the church. When it comes to abuse or any sort of trauma, art can be a powerful healing medium. It helps the creator share their story in their own language. And it helps patrons experience their story in a way that is less threatening and maybe helps them describe their own experience in a way they hadn't ever thought to describe it. Art can challenge culture and society. And in my opinion, the better the art, the more subtle this challenge will be. Someone who enjoys the film or the theater performance or the novel or the song will walk away without even knowing it, their worldview has been changed just a little. That's one of the lenses that I use to determine if art is good or not. Defining good art is actually really challenging, but we'll get to that in a minute. The Uncertain Podcast exists to challenge the church to do better. When it comes to creating good art and caring for artists, I think most of us can agree this is an area the church needs to do better. In season two, we'll be interviewing artists and creatives, asking them where their faith shows up in their art and how art has helped them tell their own stories. And since art is both a reflection of culture and a means of challenging culture, I believe the more artists and creatives who are healing themselves through art and challenging the culture of the church, the more likely the culture of church will move in a healthier direction. As we consider abuse and the ways the evangelical church is getting a lot of things wrong, I believe artists are actually far more important to health and growth than even scholars and theologians. You may disagree with me, but we have a whole season coming where we're going to get to discuss this. I'm very excited to announce season two. I had no idea how season one would turn out. I committed myself to eight episodes and eight episodes only. Now we're on episode 17 and the season's not over yet. We've still got more content coming and I hope you'll keep tuning in. But the reason we're even doing a season two is because of you. So I want to take a moment to say thank you. Thank you for taking time to drop a note and let me know how the podcast is resonating with you. Thank you for suggesting resources and requesting topics. Thank you for sharing the episode and just thank you for listening. I love getting to collaborate on this podcast with you. If you are enjoying the Uncertain Podcast, I invite you to like, subscribe, or leave a review on your favorite podcasting listening apparatus. Now, back to art. This episode is about the integration of faith and art. However, this episode and the majority of season two will actually challenge this idea of integration because it implies there's a time art and faith are ever not integrated. Faith and art are always working together, even when we're not aware of it. The sage author of A Wrinkle in Time, Madeline Lingle, says, art is at its core religious. Christian art, she says. 
Art is art. Painting is painting. Music is music. A story is a story. If it's bad art, it's bad religion, no matter how pious the subject. If it's good art, and there the questions start coming. Questions it would be simpler to evade. Yes, Madeline, it would be simpler to evade the question of what is good art. But if you've been hanging out with us this season, you know tough questions is what we do. However, tackling the questions doesn't mean we will arrive at conclusive or satisfactory answers. That's not the purpose of what we do here. The purpose is just to ask the questions the church in general likes to avoid, even if it takes us places we'd prefer not to go. For my college English major, my thesis was titled, What is Christian Art? Just asking that question still makes me cringe. When I started writing my thesis, my intent was to go after Christian novels. Those novels that were published by proclaimed Christian publishing houses. The ones with, at best, two-dimensional characters, and at worst, one-dimensional characters. The novels that contain at least one dramatic conversion story and slash or a dramatic display of repentance. The noted Christian characters pray a lot. Very lofty and well-articulated prayers, of course. There's often an element of supernatural intervention, such as a miracle, and in the end, the bad guys lose, the good guys win, and the agenda for such books is to lead the readers into their own dramatic conversion story. Let me read one of my sources from my thesis, an excerpt from a speech by Simon Morden. He pulled this portion of the speech from an online community chat, and the author is anonymous. I sadly haven't found Christian fiction, with a few rare exceptions, to come close to matching the quality of most secular fiction. It seems to me that most Christian fiction is message-driven at the expense of plot and character development. The message is compelling, but the plot often tends to be contrived or overly sensational, and the characters are seldom complex enough, like a Hamlet or an Othello, to really engage me or remain etched in my memory. My biggest complaint is the tendency of most Christian writers to bring their novels to nice, tidy conclusions, which may come across as overly pat and simplistic to many readers. I wanted, with my thesis, to prove these books were not art. However, the twist, when I finished my research, that I was doing all the way up to when I finished writing because I never followed the rules, was to conclude, it is in fact art. There is an audience for this type of work. Just check out the popularity of the blasé yet supremely entertaining Hallmark Channel, which tends to follow the same style sans conversion story. There is an audience for films like I Can Only Imagine or God Is Not Dead. It's not not art. But we have to ask the question, is it good art? In another one of my college classes, I engaged in a public debate with my professor about one of the books he'd chosen for the class. I did the required assignment and ended with a declaration, art is subjective, and therefore, I did not like this book. My professor pushed back and said that art is indeed subjective and we're allowed to like and dislike as we choose. However, our like and dislike does not determine whether the mentioned art is good or not. Neither does it determine whether or not we can learn from it something about humanity. It was the something about humanity part that caught my attention. An audience, a following, or popularity does not good art make. So, I'd say the first thing we need to define if art is good or not is does it tell a true story about humanity? 
With this, there are many works of art that could be ruled out. And what might be entertainment isn't necessarily artistic. And I think, especially considering the times we live in, we must make a distinction between art and entertainment. I'll use the example from popular culture, take the Twilight series. While thoroughly entertaining, the idea of a 100-year-old hunk secretly keeping watch over a teenage girl while she sleeps, resisting drinking her blood, while at the same time resisting having sex with her, isn't necessarily true. Yes, it's fiction. Yes, we're all suspending reality. Yes, the series is extremely popular and has become a part of our everyday vernacular. But what part of it is true? Obviously, the fantasy elements of undead people who live forever are not real, but I'm not talking about these. Where are the human themes, the parts that challenge our worldview, the elements that help us navigate our own stories or understand the experience of someone else? What truth does it reveal about humanity? There's nothing inherently wrong with entertainment. Just like there's nothing inherently wrong with a simplistic story with simplistic characters fighting some simplistic battles that eventually end up with everybody coming to Jesus. But I'm going to take a risk here and say that it's bad art. And if bad art is bad religion, what sort of religion is this representing? If art created by Christians is driven by an agenda of achieving conversion, what sort of conversion is it seeking? With safe, swear-word-free, sex-scene-free, nice and tidy foreclosures on happy endings with lots of sinners on their knees and church pews full of happy faces with hands raised in praise, there's nothing wrong with books with no cussing or swearing. Many a G-rated children's book has communicated complex, true-to-humanity tales. Please don't hear me telling you to slap some F-words on a cheesy Jesus film just so you can call it art. My point is, stuff that's safe for the Christians might actually be very unsafe for those who don't identify as such. I would venture to say such filters on creation can often lead to many who might have identified as Christians feeling they don't fit in, or they desire to leave altogether. Bad theology in a film can be as damaging as bad theology from a pulpit, maybe even more so. Listen to these clips from the Netflix series, Unbelievable. The series follows the story of two detectives who are on the trail of a serial rapist. One of the detectives identifies as Christian, and one of them does not. And this differentiation adds an interesting complexity to their relationship. Clips contain strong language and reference to sexual assault. That's the thing, we don't have anything. Well, that's not true. We have DNA from three out of four crime scenes. No, we have a shit ton of information. We know everything about this guy. We know his height, his weight, color of his eyes, color of his hair, what kind of backpack he carries, what kind of camera he puts in it. We know the shape and location of his very distinctive birthmark, and what brand of fucking sneaker he wears. And guess what? It's all a pile of worthless bullshit because we are no closer to finding him than we were when we started. Am I wrong? Please, someone, tell me I'm wrong. Just because we can't see the path doesn't mean it's not fair. <laughs> Are you seriously whipping out your Jesus shit right now? As far as I can tell, Jesus has a piss poor sense of direction because we are about as far as we can be from any kind of fucking path. This guy is out there, driving around, preying on the most vulnerable women he can find, and we have no idea who or where he is. Your Lord has not given us one goddamn break, so as far as I'm concerned, he can just go fuck himself. Hey, uh, I wanted to say sorry for the whole 
fuck the Lord thing. I mean, it's not my finest moment. It's nothing I haven't thought a hundred times myself. I just have the good sense to keep it to myself. In truth, I kind of envy all you God-believers. I'd love to have that kind of faith. Yeah. I don't know. Stuff we see. It's hard enough with God. I, I don't know how anyone does it without. Mm. Alcohol. And my dogs. And mainly... Yeah, alcohol. Steve? Him too, but you know, when things get hairy at work, you always go off the rails a little. Yeah, they don't advertise that part of the job at the academy, do they? Hmm, wouldn't make for much of a recruitment poster. To serve, protect, and emotionally withhold from your partner. Don't let it get into your head tonight. Just relax. Okay, so, don't you have a confession time. Uh, I, um, uh, I did something this morning that I've never done before. Uh-oh. Oh, I was scared. I prayed. Shut up, you did not. I did. I bowed my head, and I said, Listen, motherfucker, you let all this horrible shit go down day after day after day. Is it too much to ask that on this one day you get one fucking thing right? And look, it worked. This series is probably the only series I've ever seen where Christianity and the Christian character are actually portrayed in a positive light. The Christian detective is motivated by her faith to seek justice, not convert sinners. Her faith is real and applies to her daily life. She is real and flawed and complex. You get a sense that maybe this faith has acceptable answers to life's brutal questions. Speaking of life's brutal questions, this might be where art can help us. I mentioned previously that art can be a part of the healing process, not only for the creator, but also for those who encounter the art. It can help us find words and different ways to share our stories. Dr. Kurt Thompson is the author of one of my favorite books, Anatomy of the Soul. He reveals studies showing how the telling of story to an empathetic listener actually can help us heal from trauma. Listen to this clip, also from the series Unbelievable. The character Marie is one of the victims of the serial rapist. The series follows her as no one believes her. She's accused of lying by the police, is sued by the police, and loses her job because she's dealing with post-traumatic stress. Marie grew up in the foster care system and finally is given a mandate by the court to see a therapist. Listen to her first interaction with her therapist. So I, I know how awkward this can be at first. Not for me. No? Well, that's good. I think it would be for me. Being forced to go and see someone like me, a total stranger. You think I've never seen somebody like you before? I've been in the system since I was three. I've seen social workers, DCFS reps, foster care placement officers, and they all say that they want to help me, but I don't need help. I just need bad things to stop happening. Well, I can't stop bad things from happening. That's above my pay grade. What I can do is try to help you frame those bad things a little differently. Maybe 
help you see them through a different lens so they don't... We don't have to talk, right? We just have to sit here for 50 minutes. That's right. Okay, then. Now listen as the therapist uses a movie to help Marie begin to tell her story and articulate her experience. Clip contains some violent imagery. How much time do we have left? About a half hour. We could just talk about books or movies or whatever. Might make the time go faster. Have you seen anything good on TV lately? Or the movies? Doesn't feel like there's anything out right now. I just saw Zombieland. Yeah? What's it about? <laughs> Zombies? <laughs> okay, I have a confession. I don't actually know what a zombie is. Seriously? Not in a clinical sense, no. Well, a zombie is a walking corpse with an unstoppable appetite for human flesh. Okay. So, what's the movie about? Well, there's this virus that turned everybody in the world into zombies, except for a few people. And they're trying to get to L.A. because it's safer there, but basically they're just killing a bunch of zombies so that the zombies won't kill them. How do you kill a zombie? You have to cut their head off or bash their brains in. And you can't just, like, kill a zombie by shooting it. You have to sever the connection between its brain and the spinal cord. Interesting. So it's a zombie apocalypse, and there's a handful of survivors. And there's Columbus. Well, the survivors are actually named after the cities they're from. So he meets up with Tallahassee, who has a thing for Twinkies. And they meet these two sisters. Hold on. I have a few questions. Okay. Why did these people survive if everyone else died? Are there certain qualities you need to survive a zombie apocalypse? Just wondering what my odds would be. Well, yeah, you have to be smart and brave and strong-willed. Okay. And you have to be careful of who you can trust. Why is that? Well, because the danger in a zombie apocalypse is actually the people. Because, yeah, the zombies are going to kill you, but they can't help it. They're just trying to satisfy their hunger for human flesh. But the people, they'll just take advantage when things go haywire and they'll just take advantage of the chaos and they start doing like fucked up things to each other but they don't have an excuse they know better well they should anyway and is that inevitable that the humans end up turning on each other and becoming untrustworthy? Yeah. Well, I don't know, maybe, maybe not. Maybe some stay decent, but you never hear about them. So in order to survive, you have to assume everyone else is an enemy? Yeah. And the only person you can really trust is yourself. Yeah. Because even if someone says they have your back, even if they say they're going to protect you... They won't. 
They won't. You're on your own. Marie was so traumatized from sharing her story and being called a liar, she couldn't bring herself to trust anyone again. Through discussing a movie, she's able to express how she's come to feel about people. Subtly, without even realizing it, this telling of the story without receiving judgment or kickback from the therapist builds a measure of trust that eventually allows Marie to share her story one more time, finally receiving the belief and validation she needs to find her voice and begin fighting for herself. Before we wrap up, I want to say a little something about art challenging the culture of the church. If you think about the order in which laws are passed, specifically in the United States, it's rare that laws come before culture change. Culture almost always changes first, influencing the passing of laws. When it comes to church culture change, creating communities that are safe for those who've been wounded by the church and those who've been wounded by life and preventing abusers from gaining power and accessing more victims, we can't wait for leadership to decide this is important. Hopefully they will, but culture change can happen when creatives make authentic art, depicting humanity as it truly is, depicting the church as it truly is. This is why I'm so excited about season two. I cannot wait to share the stories of creatives and artists on the Uncertain Podcast. Thanks for joining me today. I will see you next time.